Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the Lucky Let Cord Podcast, a Tennis Now production sponsored by Tennis Express and a proud member of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Chris Otto. Happy to be with you November 10th, the day that the WTA Finals will be beginning in Guadalajara. That's up in a couple hours. If you guys want to keep up with that exciting event, keep it tuned to www.tennisnow.com for all info related to it. But for now, we've got a special guest today. It is Dr. Alexis Colvin. She's a professor of orthopedic surgery and associate dean of alumni affairs at the Icon School of Medicine at Mount Sinai Hospital in New York. A leading expert in her field, Dr. Colvin is the first female and first Asian American to hold the position of chief medical officer of the U.S. Open. She's also the team physician for the U.S. Billie Jean King Cup team, of course, fresh back from Prague, where the U.S. team reached the semifinals before falling in a heartbreaker to Russia. Dr. Colvin's a leading expert in her field, specialties including orthopedic surgery, as we mentioned, sports medicine, pain management and rehabilitation, knee, shoulder, and hip injuries are her specialties. So we've got a lot to learn from a, a person who's been dedicated to the sport behind the scenes for about a decade, a lot of um, great memories she has with the U.S. Billie Jean King Cup team. Of course, they won that title in 2017, and she was a big part of it. So it's an interesting interview we've got coming up for you guys with uh, part of the sport you may not have known a lot about before today. But today, you are going to learn some. So listen up, enjoy the interview, and we'll see you on the other side. Hello, Dr. Colvin. How are you today? It's a pleasure to have you. Great. Thanks for having me, Chris. Well, uh, this is a great time for us to speak, actually, because you've just returned from Prague, where you've done some work with the U.S. Billie Jean King Cup team. You are the team physician. So how was your trip to Prague? Yeah, we just got back two days ago. Um, the team made it to the semifinals and you know did a great job in terms of uh, making it um, through the tournament, but unfortunately, a pretty heartbreaking loss to Russia, who eventually went on to win the finals. Um, but it was a great trip, great camaraderie. Um, we were in a bubble for the tournament, um, but everyone did really well in terms of um, spirits and um, competition. Yeah, Russia broke a lot of hearts, actually, last week at, yeah. <laughs> in Prague. But um, it was a good run for the team, and you've been a part of this team. And you correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you may have started in 2013 as the team physician for the what was then the Fed Cup team? 
Yeah, you know what? I actually probably have to double check the number myself, but <laughs> I'm going on a, uh, e- yeah, either nine or ten years. Yes. Great. Well, let's talk about this. This is um, you were a part of a an historic team that is the most successful successful team in, in Billie Jean Cup King Cup history with 18 titles. You've been around Kathy Rinaldi, who is so well respected in tennis circles, and of course Serena Venus Williams, a lot of American tennis legends. So tell me a little bit about your role with the team from its inception. Yes. Yeah, so when I, when I first started, actually, Mary Jo Fernandez was the captain at that time. Um, and it's, you know, because I also work at the U.S. Open, it's a very um, interesting experience to be at the U.S. Open, which is, you know, obviously all the players, very international event, a huge event. Uh, and then to also have the role as the team physician, where it's a much smaller group, usually no more than four to five players, um, and it's a very um, tight-knit group. So to, to have those two different perspectives is um, definitely fun. Um, and, uh, you know, I think um, both captains have been fantastic to work with as well. So, uh, and, and obviously the captain really sets the tone for the team, too. So, you know, in terms of... Um, the experience it's been really um really a fun one hmm. and and you travel with a relatively small team I mean, you mentioned a stringer massage therapist physical therapist but what i'm curious to know is how do you prepare for what you're going to face in a in a week-long event like you just had in prague when frankly you're not with these athletes but one or two times a season is it a lot of preparation beforehand do you keep up with the medical files and medical histories of players like sloan stevens shelby rogers to know what you might be facing during the the billy jean king cup finals yeah i would say on average it's either two to three times a year uh at least in the, in the previous format um uh, I, I and the preparation definitely is um a major part of you definitely hit that uh point correctly. So I, I essentially become like a walking hospital in terms of the things that I bring with me. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the, the, the challenge of it is that it could be a completely different set of players from uh, the team before. And so I'm fortunate to be able to work with um, also a, a physio who probably sees them on even more of a regular basis, okay. um, who travels with the WTA uh, and we work very closely together, and so um, that's uh, probably the main way that I'm aware of what events are or what what issues are happening um, throughout the year, even though I'm not with them all the time. Yeah. Uh, I also have a very good relationship with um, a lot of other um, physicians in the tennis world. You know, it's not it's not a very big world, so um, you know I'll, I'll often get like phone calls or texts or, or heads up uh, before I'm about to travel with them, just so I know uh, something that's going on too. I see. And, and Fed Cup, um, you had a special moment in 2017. Can you briefly touch on what it was like to be a part of a, a team that actually won the competition? Yeah, I, I would say even um, even when we don't win, um, it's really, um, I almost can't even put into words how incredible it is to represent the USA in, overseas. Yeah. So, of course, it's you know a great feeling to do it while you're on um, U.S. soil, but to go to another country and um, have them play the anthem and they raise the flag. And, you know, it's, I, I even get chills just talking about it now. Um, so then to go and then actually win the cup uh, was really, um, yeah, it was, it was definitely very, uh, I, I don't know that, um, again, I, I don't think I could put it necessarily into words, but um, 
it was probably one of the most um, exciting times um, being with the team. What are some of the big challenges you'd say you face? Like, what are some of the things that could, like, five alarm fires for you during these competitions? Well, I would say, you know, we're, we're pretty much um, together the entire time. So we have all our meals together. I'm at every practice. Uh, and so, in general, I'd say there's very few surprises. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, it's also a very shortened time span. So whereas at the Open, you know, you have um, the qualifying week and then, um, you know, obviously the whole lead up to um, the season before that where you have time to sort of um, uh, figure out your, your grounding uh, as a player with, with, the, with this team event, we're there for maybe a week before, um, uh, before there's play. And so um, it's a much condensed period of time in terms of, um, adjustments or um, if there's, you know, for instance, if somebody does uh, become ill, um, it's a much shorter time to, to deal with that um, prior to competition. Mm. And we're going to touch upon one of your other big roles, which is which is being the chief medical officer of the U.S. Open, which is quite remarkable in and of itself, but you're also the first woman to hold that position and the first Asian American. So congratulations on that. Thanks. Um, can you tell me a little bit about that role? I'm very curious to know what that must be like because you're an orthopedic surgeon. I would imagine that you're kind of wearing a couple of hats and it must be very interesting when we get to mid to late August, all of a sudden you were thrust into this world of, of Grand Slam tennis for about a month, I would imagine. Yeah, it is about a month. Um, but again, the same thing with the Fed Cup. It's all in the preparation. So the preparation really starts probably six months plus prior to the wow. event. Um, you know, I started my first U.S. Open was in 2009 when I was a, a started as a part of the player physician team. So okay. I really started at the, you know, what we consider the ground level. Um, cool. And I still maintain that role. So I still um, cover the courts during the tournament as well. Um, and, you know, as you know, these athletes are traveling essentially all year. And, um, the U.S. Open is one of the last tournaments that they play. And yes. so we have a group of physicians, um, including orthopedists, to address the, the musculoskeletal injuries as well as um, you know, any um, illnesses that come up during the tournament. But we also really have um, a, a comprehensive um, medical team available in terms of, um, if, since the players are traveling all the time, if they need... Um, you know, dermatology or dentistry or OBGYN, some sort of service like that, yeah. um, that can be provided for them as well. So coming to New York, they know that they're going to get um, world-class medical care no matter what it is that they need. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I, I don't know if we'll talk about this later, but obviously with um, COVID, then that was a whole other um, challenge. I bet. Um, and, you know, the interesting thing with 2020 was that we had the Australian Open, and then no tennis for several months. Yeah. And during this time, however, we were still planning um, for the U.S. Open without knowing whether or not it was actually going to happen. And so just as you, know, you were living it or we were living it with, with the changes day-to-day in terms of protocols, um, it was the same thing for us. You know, we were planning this event, not sure if it's actually going to happen. Um, numbers are, you know, and recommendations are, are uh, changing daily. Um, but, um, you know, the U.S. Open was really the first major sporting event to happen in New York since the pandemic, uh, and it really set the stage for how do you put on such uh, an international 
um, sporting event like this yeah. um, successfully. There had been no precedent. You know, no one had ever written this is how you put on a major tennis tournament during a pandemic. So we really, you know, set the, the bar for how to do it. Yeah, that was remarkable. It was, it was really the, a new beginning for sports in, in many ways, and certainly for tennis. Um, yes. Can you, can you tell me more about what your daily life is like when you're, when you're holding down this role, and how big is your team, and, is, and some of the things that you just mentioned, people on court, and is it all under your umbrella now, and is that what's different from maybe when you started? Yeah, so this particular role, I, I, I was, um, I, I've been in this role, again, almost for a decade as well. Um, so the team, is, the, 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 the boots on the ground team yes. is made up of um, orthopedic surgeons as well as um, other sports medicine specialists that, can, that are either ER doctors or primary care or family medicine um, and that's that's who the physicians are. But as you know, um, and and um, and see on TV, the people that are actually going out onto court first are usually the um, WTA or ATP um, physios or primary health care providers. Right. Um, the other the other sort of behind the scenes uh, people include um, the massage therapists. Um, we have radiologists who can provide on-site imaging if somebody has an injury. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, again, it's a very comprehensive team in terms of what's needed for the players. Um, and that's not even mentioning the fact that there's also uh, a whole group of other um, medical providers for the, the staff, I mean, sorry, for the um, spectators okay. um, who are there, uh, too. So I would say the, the medical care is, one of those things where I think no one ever wants to hear of a medical yeah, emergency, yeah. Um, but um, we are really prepared for anything and everything that can happen either to a player or someone attending the event. And that's also under your umbrella for the spectators as well. Yes. Wow. It must yep, be, yep. you must just basically bring a massive hospital over to Flushing Meadows. Yeah, there, I would say it's a huge, hu- it's a, it's um, definitely a team effort in terms of coordinating the services Um, and we have a lot of services available on site so that players don't necessarily have to leave Um, because yeah we're bringing all all this care to them uh, so that they can really focus on playing which is what they're there for yeah it must be really intense because I'm thinking in my head I'm trying to calculate just how many people athletes are under your umbrella and it's 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 qualifiers it's wheelchair it's doubles it's Mm -hmm. mixed juniors yeah Yeah. juniors as well which have big draws it's got to be a thousand people that you're looking out after and it must take so much preparation you must have to really bend the ears of the the players teams to really know what you're dealing with in terms of because it look there's a lot of serious things that are happening people are in the most important event of their life, at the end, as you said, of a long season, they're running into issues that maybe they've never dealt with before, maybe are chronic, and you have to manage so much to get them on the court. It must, it must be just at times. I, I can only imagine that you must be pulling 16-hour days at least. They're long days. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I bet they are. Um, what are some of the memorable things? Um, the, what are the moments where you feel like, you can take a step back and just, you know, kind of bask in the glory of what you've, you know, this world that you've created for yourself. Is there feedback like that or is it too much, uh, too much that you're in uh, completely in battle and you don't even really notice what's going on until the tournament is over? 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Right, I was going to say, uh, the day of the finals, yes. Day of the finals, you get to enjoy it a little bit. Because I, I saw an interview that said that you and maybe your husband-to-be, I think it was, you said you used to sit and watch tennis in the nosebleeds. So you've been a tennis player slash fan, I think, all along, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, and my husband wanted me to correct it. They were not nosebleed seats. <laughs> oh, they were decent? They were, decent. were they at Ash? Did you yeah, go to Ash? They were Ash? decent seats. They were, they were in Ash, yeah. Um, <laughs> Funny. Yeah. When did so, you used to go? Uh, you know, I've been in New York for 25 years, so probably, yeah, I, I would say definitely, um, every couple of years, um, along the way. So it is, you know, a, one of those iconic events that, um, Absolutely. really defines New York and at the end, at the end of the summer. So, um, yeah, I think, I think it's, it's always been a part of my life, um, even before I was actually working there. You've interacted with a lot of elite tennis players, the ones that our, our listeners will know quite well, you know, superstars of the game, legends of the game, the Serenas, the Venuses, the Novaks, the Rogers. What, what are some of the lessons you learn and can take back to your practice? Yeah, I think, um, and this is probably true of all athletes, but especially with the elite ones, the, the practice and the technique are obviously critical, but they spend probably an equal amount of time on the preventative things. So yes. the warm-ups, the recovery, the cross-training, uh, all that, is, you know, nutrition, all of that is equally as important. So um, I think those um, are probably the, the most important principles that I've taken away from working with them. And in your time in tennis, how would you say that the health challenges that the athletes face have changed maybe in the last 10, 15 years? and maybe the way that they do rehab or recover and prepare, have, have those things changed quite a bit? Yeah, I think in a similar manner as well. I think um, you know, the leaders in the sport have um, placed more emphasis on those uh, things as well, the, the prevention, the recovery, the cross-training. And so I see that trickle down, to, um, you know, trickle down through the, the younger athletes as well. Um, you know, I think there's probably a greater awareness that – um, we're looking at longevity of career, not just one and done or just getting through this tournament. And so I think there's a new appreciation in the field of sports medicine in general um, of making sure that we can help prolong careers um, as opposed to just, you know, make it through this one uh, mm-hmm. match or tournament. Yeah. Yeah. And do, you, and do you ever find it tricky when you're working with athletes where you come to this like sort of fork in the road where you know that a player is not in the greatest shape and you know that long term they may be doing some more harm to themselves when they're playing, but they absolutely need to get on the court and play this U.S. Open semifinal. Do you ever feel conflicted about situations like that? No, you know, I think I'm pretty honest um, because, again, I, I certainly appreciate that they need to get on and play this match and, you know, the importance of um, being in a Grand Slam. But, um, like I said, I think um, for those players, I also want them to understand that um, again, we're looking at long-term um, health and their ability to play 
next year or the year after. Yeah. And so I think, um, I, I, again, I think in this situation, honesty is really the, the best way to go about it um, so that at least they understand um, the risks and benefits of whether or not they're going to continue uh, or not. And, mm-hmm. but, but I would say, honestly, that most professionals also understand this as well. Like their, their ability to play is their livelihood. Yeah, so yeah. Um, I, I don't think there's very many who would necessarily jeopardize that, um, that, that, that long-term ability. Right. And, you know, I'll say from my perspective, working with tennis players as a journalist, I've been really pleasantly surprised by how kind and gr- and excellent uh, people they are in general. I wonder if you have the same experience, and I wonder if you would think that, or if you would say that tennis players in general are very curious and, and are actually picking your brain a little bit. Are they cur- How are they in relation to their health? Do they want to know the information, or do they just let you take care of them and that's it? Uh, I think it varies, but um, I would say it may not necessarily come from the player, uh, but a lot of times they will have either their strength and conditioning coach or their regular or, or their tennis coach or somebody in their entourage who kind of handles that bit for Take, them. Takes notes. Um, and so, yeah, and so I would say there, there's usually a member of the team um, that, uh, that, that, that I would um, – interact with who would be sort of taking the lead on that Mm. if if it's not coming from the player themselves yeah and in your medical past i know you worked a little bit with the pittsburgh penguins and and members of the pittsburgh steelers as well uh certainly at different types of sports contact concussions are are certainly things Mm -hmm. that happen in those sports but i wonder your experience covering those sports and then and then also working with tennis players what would you say sets our tennis players apart from the other athletes you've worked with yeah, that's a great question because I, I will tell you, in most um, when when you do your training um, along the way, most of the times tennis is not one of those sports that you cover um, as a physician, just because it tends to be overuse injuries. Nothing, fortunately, acute like football or hockey, where yes. um, there's you know um, a, a lot more acute injuries. But I definitely have um, a huge appreciation that's developed for the fitness um, of tennis athletes because when I compare just um, the sports themselves, and I, I know, you know, you know this already, but um, it's essentially a year-round sport where they're playing on multiple different surfaces. Um, they can't put in any substitutions. The length of the match can be an hour or it could be five hours. Um, and so to have that ability to do that, I would say, supersedes um, you know, me- much of what is asked for uh, some of the other sports that I've asked with, uh, mm. that I've worked with. Yeah, and I think you, you've kind of set, you're segueing me into another interesting topic that I wanted to discuss, the length of the tennis season. It's now November, November 9th to be specific, and we still got a couple weeks to go for the elite women and the elite men on tour. It seems to me, and I've always felt this way, that it's a lot to ask for for an athlete, especially given the way that tennis players grind. They're constantly traveling the the, the world. They're playing week in and week out. And you said, like you said, there's a lot of repetitive injuries, and it's very difficult to, I think, to get that kind of cl- clean bill of health that they would want at the beginning of a season. I just wonder if you have thoughts on that. That have you given a lot of consideration to the length of the season, and that maybe it would, in an ideal world, it would be shorter, maybe end in October, give these uh, athletes a longer off season. Well, as you know as well, there's a lot of other factors um, that come into the length of the season. Um, not not just health, so Certainly. points, you know, prize money, 
Um, and so I, I would say the WTA has really taken the lead um, on this in terms of giving a structure to the players. Um, and I believe they actually have uh, a program where the players can actually um, put in their events or their, or their schedule and, and they're given information on, you know, this is too much or, you know, you need to, this is when you should schedule this, um, this particular tournament. And so part of it, again, is, is just awareness. And so the fact that you're even bringing it up, I think, shows that um, uh, it is an issue that's um, being discussed. But uh, I, I think um, it would probably be all stakeholders coming together to discuss um, length of the um, tennis playing season to figure out the, the optimal yeah. Um, you're the optimal one. Yeah, because certainly it's choice. And, you know, we see as veterans go on in years, they, they tend to skip more events and take more time for themselves. Yes. And I think young, young, young players yeah. tend to chase a little more and then they run into health issues as they do, which is, which is quite normal. But I wanted to ask, since you're a specialist in knee, shoulder, and hip, your observations over the last decade or so in terms of tennis, have you seen anything uh, that pops out to you that is maybe happening now that didn't happen before because of the way the game is played? Uh, I, would, I don't know if I could, would say that there's necessarily any differences in the injuries, um, but what I would say, not necessarily with the pros, I would say I am seeing more youth players with injuries that I would not expect um, because of uh, over, overuse. Yes. Um, so they're, they're, they're getting injuries at a younger age um, that they shouldn't be getting um, because um, they're specializing in um, their sports or, and, and, or overdoing it, uh, in terms of training at a much younger age than, than, you know, would necessarily be recommended. Mm-hmm. And, um, are there any new types of, and that's not, I'm sorry, that's not, that's not just true of tennis. I would say that, you know, that would say that's cer- certainly an epidemic of all, of all use. A cult, sort of a cultural thing, right? The way we drive our mm-hmm. kids. Yeah. yeah. I guess your advice there would just be, uh, you know, take it easy. Yeah, which sounds easy, right? But it's, <laughs> yeah. Um, again, there's a lot of other pressures going on too. I think I think the the biggest take home for that is, again is that when we see the pros, they're not playing tennis 24 hours a day, seven days a week. They're taking the time to um, warm up, recover, cross train, and I think those are really the principles that are important for um, youth players in any sport. Um, to adopt as well. Right. And strengthen muscle groups that might be under duress because of mm-hmm. the way a certain player plays. It's, it's fascinating that there's so much to it. Um, what what yeah. are your, I just, I wonder your personal thoughts on Andy Murray, since you, since you're do specialize in hip, what he's been able to do, the recovery he's made to be back on tour with a titanium hip and also Mike and Bob Bryan. I'm sure you're aware of what these, these mm-hmm. men have gone through. Do you find it rather remarkable that they've been able to get back on the, especially Murray on the singles court? Yeah, I think um, the one thing to keep in mind is that we're dealing with professional athletes who were already at a very high, you know, a, a very high physical condition uh, compared to um, someone who's not in terms of the recovery. But of course, yes, they're both um, a hip replacement or resurfacing is a major surgery um, that definitely takes a lot of recovery time. However, it is also one of the most successful surgeries that we do in orthopedics oh, okay. uh, in terms of pain relief. Um, so I think. Um, it, it definitely is admirable in terms of what they've been able to achieve to return back. Um, and I think fortunately also they had a condition that was treatable in this way. Yeah. Interesting. 
And so now that um, you're finished with the Fed Cup for the year and, and the U.S. Open is obviously over, but w- is tennis still a part of your daily ritual, staying, staying in touch and, and kind of, you know, keeping files and keeping aware of what's going on before your next um, time that you'll actually be on site somewhere? Yeah, I mean, I you know I have my own practice, so I'm certainly and, and tennis is just such uh, as you know the numbers have uh, exploded in terms of the number of players playing recreationally. So yeah. I'm certainly still seeing a number of them in my daily practice. Um, it's also important um, for me to to still have continued education on uh, on staying on top of what's going on with um, sports medicine and the tennis world in general. And so there's also you know, meetings outside of um, the tournaments where the medical providers or really, um, you know, it, it's it's the the, the group of um, specialists in tennis medicine, not just the doctors, but also um, strength and conditioning coaches and exercise physiologists and um, those specialists um, and staying in touch with those um, through various other committees that I participate in um, to be on the cutting edge of, of tennis medicine. Mm. Fascinating. And, and Dr. Coven, if I may ask, how much has you kind of branching into tennis as part of your, uh, as part of your work uh, increased your job satisfaction, would you say? Obviously, it's made it more busy, but I mean, has it given you a certain joy to be able to do this kind of work and to be a part of the tennis community this way? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, like you touched upon, I've, I've been in sports medicine for a very long time, but I think tennis is probably... Um, the perfect fit for me uh, in terms of the the fact that um, you know the females are I would say equally uh, as prominent as the men. Yes, I love um, that part of our sport. And so I and, yeah, and it's and it's a very international group of players, um, and those are things that you don't necessarily get with um, sports that just tend to be popular in the U.S. Mm. So there's a lot of factors other than the sport that I really appreciate about it. Yeah, that's great. I, I've always said the same things, actually. That's, that's great to hear you say that. Dr. Colvin, this, is, this has been a really enlightening and fun conversation, and I want to thank you for all you do for tennis, and I appreciate you spending some time with me today. Thank you, Chris. This edition of the Lucky Let Cord podcast is a wrap. Special thanks to our guest, Dr. Alexis Colvin. Thanks for joining us, and thanks for all you do for tennis. You guys know where to find us on social media, on Facebook, facebook.com slash tennis now, on Twitter, at tennis underscore now. And we'd love it if you rate, review, subscribe to this podcast. Just open up your Apple Podcasts app, type in Lucky Let Cord Podcast, and voila. It means a lot to us that you listen. It means a lot to us if you enjoy this podcast and let us know by all means. Other than that, it's time for tennis. WTA Finals Guadalajara this week. Next Jet Finals in Milan this week. And next week, the ATP Finals. So keep it tuned to www.tennisnow.com and stay tuned for your next episode, which should be coming soon. Thanks for listening. Have a good day.